As we open God's word, let's come in prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we open your word now to the book of 2 Timothy, we ask that your spirit would be upon us and be amongst us, that we would know Jesus Christ, that we would see him clearly for who he is, for what he has done for us. Lord, that we would see your word as what it is, the very words of God with the authority of God himself. And Lord, may you work in our hearts to give you praise and glory. Lord, in this worship service, may your name truly be worshipped and honored for all that you have done, for all that you are for us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, we'll look at verse 10 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 to 17. We've been, I did a few articles from the Belgian Confession in the past weeks, kind of in our downtime when we're not through any other series, and we've looked at Article 1, Article 2, Article 3. Uh, we skipped over Article 4 because Article 4 goes through the books of the Old and the New Testament, and we're looking at Article 5 now, looking at the authority of Scripture, looking at those books that are in the Old and the New Testament as God's Word, as God's very, uh, very Word to us. And we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, which yeah, is the, the major text in the Bible pointing to uh, this being God's word. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read verse 10 to 17. This is the word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for, rebu- for reproof, for correction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. Well, what's more important the Bible or the confessions? And let's pretend that the confessions are, are more important. Let's pretend that we look to the confessions to tell us what we believe before the Bible. We're just pretending. What would this look like? Well, the Belgic Confession, Article 5, the, the Bible, uh, has full authority. Belgic Confession, Article 5, says the Bible only is holy and canonical. The Bible is to be our standard for regulating, founding, and establishing our faith. So even if we pretend that the confessions are more important, the confessions themselves point us to Scripture and say, Scripture is your authority. The confessions themselves say, don't look at me, look to the Bible, look to God's Word. 
The Bible is supreme. It's our chief authority. The Bible is really above everything. It is above everything. When we have a disagreement, we go to the Bible to solve it. The ultimate authority is the Bible. And that is our topic this afternoon. Three points first. We're going to look at the, the nature of this authority. And then secondly, we'll, we'll take a look at some objections to this authority. Just some objections. We won't be able to cover them all, obviously. But, and then finally, we will look at uh, the comfort of this authority. So we're going to look at the nature of this authority, some objections to this authority, and then the comfort of this authority. So the Bible is authoritative. What is the nature of this authority? Where does the authority come from? Well, the Bible's authority, when I say authority, I mean really power. The authority of, of police comes from their ability to carry out what they say, as given to them by the government. The authority of a mom and dad come from their ability to take your phone away or to take your vehicle away or to ground you from going out, from watching TV. The authority of the Bible comes directly from God, who has the power to do what he says and to follow through with it. And built into that means that the Bible is spoken by God. We looked at this the other Sunday with Article 3, and these two concepts are unified of God speaking, that these are actually God's words, and the authority of these words are really bound together. Article 3 said that the Bible is God's word. Article 5 says it's authoritative, and it's building off of each other. The Bible is authoritative because it is God's words to us. If your mom and dad write a note to you on the table, it's authoritative because it's mom and dad's writing to you. The Bible is authoritative because it is God's writing to us. It's authoritative as well because he uh, does what he says he will do. The Bible is never, ever, ever wrong. So when God says that those who practice sexual immorality, idolatry, strife, jealousy, fits of anger... Envy, drunkenness, orgies are not in the kingdom of God. He means it. Matthew 10, 28, fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But the authority of the Bible is not uh, just of fear of judgment, as though God scares people into heaven. The power of God's word is in the promises that he makes, both of judgment but also of life. John 3, verse 14 and following, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus, of course, is looking at himself in the future where he will be hung on a cross. And he's saying that whoever puts their faith in him as their Savior from sin will live. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness looked up at the snake on the pole, they looked up and believed they would live. Those who look to the cross of Christ as their salvation will live. The promise of God in his word is that we have life through Jesus. And the power of that promise, the authority of that promise is really in the meat of it. That Jesus came to this world as a man, that he was dead, crucified, put into a tomb for three days, and God's authority is in that, that, well, he says what he does. He promises eternal life and he raises himself from the dead and gives us eternal life. His authority is in what he, what he does. Judgment because of hell for sin 
but life eternal, heaven, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So then, is the Bible spoken by God? Yes, it is spoken by God, as we read 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. It means it's coming from him. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible is spoken by God. And we said how he, he did that the other week. He spoke through the prophets as they, carried, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in, in 2 Peter one twenty one. That's why we have the different personalities, different characteristics in each book. Because God speaks through prophets, through his Holy Spirit. But he's saying exactly what he wants to say. God's word is exactly what he wants to say, down to each word. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, also, that Paul thanks these Thessalonians that that when they received the word of God, when they received his letter, they accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it truly is, the word of God. The nature of the authority of the Bible is in its author. Paul is thanking the Thessalonians that they received his letter, not as just a word of man, but as God speaking. God wrote this, and what he says, he will do. What he promises, he will deliver. Chris talked about this in talking about the covenant of grace. God does what he says he will do, always. So what about an illustration to show authority? Well, the government uh, says stealing cars is wrong, right? You're not allowed to do that. They have the authority to say this. But if you want a new car and you lack some moral virtues, you'll go out and steal a car. Now, why do you do this? Maybe because you don't think the government, you don't think the police or or maybe the law enforcement can back up what they say. They can't see you do it. They can't catch you. Maybe you're just too good. Well, their authority is limited. This is not the case with God. His power is in no way limited. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, he always does what he says. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he not said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? This is spoken by the prophet Balak, who's, who's trying to curse Israel, trying to destroy Israel, because Balaam, is this foreign king, is, is trying to curse Israel. And he's trying to curse Israel, but he's speaking from God. And he can't curse Israel, because God won't let him. And as, as this prophet tries and tries again, it's useless because what God says will happen. God says, I will bless Israel. He's not going to go back on that. He will bless his people. God follows through with what he promises. Just as Chris said this morning, God is faithful. And every time we see a rainbow, we know that he is faithful. We know that he is truthful to his promises. And I would challenge you, go through the Bible. Find a place where God has lied where God did not say what he would do. Now maybe you think, well, God said he would destroy Israel time and time again, Mount Sinai. With the golden calf, God said, I am going to destroy those people. Moses steps in and says, no, don't destroy them. Take me instead. And then it says God relented. The verse says God relented. God changed his mind there. He didn't do what he said he would do. Well, first of all, we have to see, understand that text is, is, is speaking to us in human terms about a God that is beyond uh, human terms, beyond our comprehension. So he's, he's using terms that we can understand, ascribing them to God. 
So there's a sense there where we cannot understand God's workings, but in, in understanding God's workings and understanding that God punishes evil, God does what he says he will do. God says he will destroy sinners. God says he will destroy the wicked, the rebellious. God says he will punish sin. And when Israel sinned, God was not lying and saying that he would punish Israel. God did destroy Israel. Not completely at that moment, but he was waiting to pour out his wrath over sin completely because he would pour it out over Jesus Christ on a cross. God fulfilled his word in judgment and punishing sin in Jesus when he hung there on the cross. God does what he says he will do. And God says now to this world, believe in Jesus as your savior from sin. If you do not, you will face the final judgment. An hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The authority of the Bible is in that it is God's word. It is God speaking and the authority is backed up with God's power. He does what he says he will do. The Belgic Confession says, even the blind themselves are able to see that the things predicted in them do happen. And the Belgic Confession says we're able to see this because of the Spirit working in us. God promises eternal death to those who do not put their faith in Jesus. That will happen. If you are an unbeliever, turn to Jesus, repent for the forgiveness of sins, and put your faith in him. Because God's promises... God promises that all who believe in him do have salvation. They will be saved. They will have eternal life. God's authority is in his word and his ability to carry out what he says in his word. We turn now to some wrong views of scripture, some objections to the authority of scripture. And I'll I'll mention three. There's obviously more, but we're going to cover cover these three. First, there's a view uh, that the church has a has a higher authority. Church tradition, you could say church hierarchy, has a higher authority than Scripture. If the church had uh, been using an organ for the last 400 years, then along uh, comes Pastor uh, James or Pastor so-and-so and said, well, we should bring a guitar into church. Church tradition says, no, we've been using an organ for 400 years. We're not allowed to use an organ. That's wrong to use a guitar. Church tradition says we cannot use the guitar. This is often enforced by uh, a church hierarchy. Our, our denomination, our federation, doesn't have uh, a church hierarchy per se. Our church is led by Christ himself through the elders. But in this sort of a tradition, you'd have a church hierarchy. Church leaders put into place what is allowed and what is not allowed. Now, an organ is, is no big deal. Maybe it is a big deal to you, but... What about when it comes to doctrine? When it comes to what we believe and what we do not believe? What if church tradition said we ought to, to pray to dead saints so that they can intercede for us to God, so that God hears us better? Or what if when we die we go to a place called purgatory to pay for the sins that we have not yet been forgiven in this life for yet? Or you could go to the Bible and say, well, Purgatory is not correct. Lazarus uh, goes straight from, from death to the Lord. Likewise, for the thief on the cross, Jesus says to him that he will see him in paradise that day. Or there's other verses as well. 
But in this wrong view, it was, well, the Bible does not carry the weight that church tradition carries, at least as much weight as the, as the church tradition carries and church leaders. So how is this wrong? Well, it gives, it gives too much credit to humanity. Also, what happens if the church is wrong? And in the future, someone studying Scripture sees the Bible says otherwise. This is what happened at the Reformation. The church was seen as believing things that were wrong. Scripture was the basis for all the questioning that was going on in the church at that time. Now, it's easy to see how this mentality can sneak into a system of thought. We are creatures of habit. We have done it this way for as long as we can live, or as long as we lived, as long as our parents lived. This is the way it ought to be done. It's an easy way to think. And it is a justified way to think as well, right? Just passing off tradition and saying it's, it's nonsense is not a wise thing to do because we have traditions for a reason. But when those traditions are, are measured against Scripture and seem to be wrong, we have to realize that Scripture is the authority. We have to be open to Scripture. Martin Luther in the Reformation, looked at Scripture and saw that the church was doing things that were wrong and struggled with this heavily. And he went to the Scriptures, studied and studied and studied. He went to court. He was accused of heresy, saying that that what he believed was wrong. And he asked for a time period to think about it, to pray about it. And he came back the next day and he said, unless... I am convicted by scripture and plain reason. Do not accept the authority. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God, to the word of God, and I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Unless I'm convicted of scripture and the word of God. Martin Luther looked at scripture and said, I have to be proven from scripture it has to be looked at scripture god's word god's word has to be our highest and final standard and it can be because it is unchanging the bible never changes ever so it's not as though 400 years ago when they studied scripture it was different the bible is never changing galatians 1 verse 8 Paul says to the Galatians, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. If anyone comes to you, preaches you a gospel different than this, what is given in here, he is accursed. Paul is saying the message of the Bible, the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, and that he did so through his death, through his resurrection, that will not change ever. The Bible forever is our standard for what we believe, for what we practice, because it does not change. Tradition does change. Well, another objection uh, to God's authority over in Scripture is, uh, we could call it spiritualism. Uh, everyone is spiritual. Everyone, everyone wants to worship something. But especially in our time, people are, are very spiritual, you could say, religious. Everyone has their own sense of what uh, life they are to live, how are they to interact with you could say higher beings, powers, or how they are to achieve peace, contentment in life. And spiritualism is, spiritualism is a common talk. You think of Zen, right? So watching baseball, and they talk about baseball Zen, turning baseball into a spiritual exercise. 
or meditations, gurus. People call somebody a guru. They're saying that they're a way of giving them peace. There are ways we connect to the universe, you could say. All ways we seek fulfillment in our lives, meaning in our lives. And in our time, the Bible is one of those. If you've talked to someone who is serious about spirituality, they love that you read the Bible. They love that you have found your way through the Bible. Their way, on the other hand, is, is in their morning runs, their me time, sitting down with a coffee, meditating over the existence of the color orange or something like that. You know what this does? This takes the authority of the Bible uh, away, but it does it in a more subtle manner. The Bible is yet another book on the bookshelf. It's uh, just another path that leads to the same path that we're all on. This takes the authority away from the Bible by taking away the Bible's exclusive claims. The Bible is unique in that it says there is only one way to heaven. One way to peace with God. And that's through the only Son, Jesus Christ. The only Son of God, Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's through one man who came into this world in history 2,000 years ago who lived and died. We looked at that last Sunday. Or a couple Sundays ago in, in uh, Lord's Day 11. Jesus meaning Savior. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 21. We cannot relegate the Bible to a book on a shelf. The Bible is the word of God, and it's the, the light to our path that leads us to salvation from sin. The Bible is what tells us what sin is and tells us what's wrong with the world. That's another objection we have, but another objection is, is, the, is the blatant one, you could say, secularism, naturalism, atheism. There is no spiritual. There is no supernatural. Everything is material and tangible by our senses. Another, yeah, atheism is the main term, I guess you could say. Atheism says the Bible's false. It claims miracles. Well, miracles cannot happen. They do not happen. People healed from sickness, disease, infirmities. The way the Bible describes it, impossible. You don't get healed from blindness by somebody spitting in dirt and putting mud on your eyes. People raised from the dead, no, that didn't happen. Jesus raising himself from the dead? Yeah, no way. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> Obviously, the Bible's wrong. Obviously, the Bible is just a bunch of myths and, and stories for us. The authority of the Bible is simply dismissed as fable, as myth. How? Well, it's based on human reasoning. Human reasoning. Based supposedly on science. Now, I don't want to give science a bad name because, well, we can't let secularism claim science because science is just the study of nature, study of the world. Christians own science. Christians founded the very discipline of science. And it's only through a submission to the Lord God, to the Creator, that we can truly know, truly understand the creation that was made by God. Now, understanding the authority of the Bible is central to understanding creation. Secularism dismisses the Bible because they think it's, it's out of date, superstitious. It was a time when we, we didn't understand the world. And we had to make up gods to explain things like gravity, to explain uh, things like rain and solar eclipses. 
The mistake secularism makes has to do with giving too much credit, again, to the human mind. They think the human mind can understand, can comprehend more than it can. They don't confess and they don't realize that sin has affected even our, even our logic, even our reasoning. We have to hold scripture up to the attacks of, of so-called science. The Bible is true. The miracles spoken of it, they did occur. God spoke to his people and speaks to us through it now. Its authority is actually grounded in the very miracles that atheists would say did not happen. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're above all to be pitied because our faith means nothing. The miracle that Jesus rose from the dead is central to what we believe. It is what happened. It occurred. When we come to our, our last point, we looked at three objections. We looked at the nature of the authority of the Bible, and I pray that you saw that it is, it is God's word spoken by him to us. I pray that you see that God is powerful, powerful to fulfill what he has spoken, that he is faithful to do what he has promised. And I pray that you know the promise of forgiveness, that you experience the promise of forgiveness for sins through Jesus Christ, through his life for you, through his death for you, through his resurrection from the dead. I pray that you receive the authority of the Bible, you accept it as authoritative, that when you come to the Bible and you open it up, as soon as you open it up, you assume it is true. That's something very important. That when you open the Bible, that you assume it is true. That you trust that it is true. That you trust that it is never wrong. The second thing we looked at was uh, some objections to Scripture's authority. The objection of tradition. Tradition is more important than the Bible. We have done so-and-so for so long, so this is the way it ought to be. We believe so-and-so for so long, so this is what we ought to believe the objection of a spiritualism where the Bible just becomes another book on the shelf, another religion on the same path that we're all on. Also the objection of secularism where the Bible is dismissed as an out-of-date book full of fairy tales and myths, no longer relevant because we have science. Now to understand the world around us, it is, the Bible is full of impossible things, secularism would say, atheism would say, that people that could not have happened. Many secularists would argue that the Bible is, is used to control people even. It is, it's a made-up God that people use to enforce oppressive rules to, to keep them in power. Brothers and sisters, as we come to our, our last point, we can take comfort, take joy in the authority of the Bible. And do not give an inch to those who question the Bible's authority. The confession says we believe it without a doubt. The confession says we use it for regulating, for founding, for establishing our faith. We are confident to be here now in church under his word, under this word. You can be confident to be here under his word, under the word of God. Maybe you lack some confidence. You lack assurance maybe. Is it a lack of assurance that you believe this is God's word? Is it a lack of assurance that... Maybe you're questioning in your own life that you don't have a strong enough faith. I would think that most of us have times where we doubt 
where we have lack of assurance of salvation, that this arises within us, within our hearts, and that is understandable in our, sinful, in our sinfulness, in our weakness. That's why gave us his, God gave us his word. That's why the Apostle John wrote 1 John to us, so that we might know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5, verse 13. But the authority of Scripture is our firm foundation. It is where we place all, all of our marbles. We don't split up our investments, putting a bunch of investments in different variety of things and making sure that, that we're covered by all, all grounds through these potential investments. Everything we rest on is in the word being true, in this being God's word. So if you lack assurance, trust this word. Because this word says that you can believe that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our comfort is in the Bible being 100% authoritative. Maybe an illustration for, for this comfort. Say you're, you're at sea on a, on a large sailboat, a clipper. You are a, a ship hand maybe. Your, your job is, is just tying down ropes, maybe even washing the deck or cooking. You actually have no idea how to sail a ship. You just do what you're, you're told. Maybe you're not even actually told anything except for cook, wash, tie, this to that. Our life can be this way often. We are out in an open sea. We are, are doing our small task here in our home in Pantigo. We do not have a big, big picture of what is going on, yet we are called to care for maybe a couple acres of land, maybe a few employees. Maybe we're literally washing a floor, a bathroom. Maybe we have a few friends that we care for or watch over for care for a home, care for a dog. Maybe we care for a family. In the big picture of 8 billion people or the scope of the universe and its billions of galaxies, we have no idea what this whole grand scheme of life is. Just like this ship out at sea in the ship, ship hand. He looks really to his captain to see, trusts his captain to see where he's going that he's on the right path. The authority of Scripture is our hope. He's our captain, you could say. Scripture tells us, literally speaks to us as we are washing bathroom floors, as we are feeding our dog on a Monday morning. And it is God speaking to us. Creator of the universe. God is telling us of a big picture. He's telling us of the big picture. The grand scheme of all of creation. He's telling us of the big problem in the world, that sin, that dwells in you, that dwells in me. Scripture points us to the God who saves. He points us to the salvation from this sin, who was done through through his only begotten son, who took on the form of being a man, who died for our sins so that we would not have to. Scripture tells us that Jesus did not stay dead, though, but he rose from the grave, which means death is defeated, which means that big problem of sin has been defeated. Death no longer reigns. And Scripture calls us to believe this, to believe this story about this man, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, to believe that 
that we are actually incorporated into this grand story. So that when we're washing our bathroom floor and feeding our dog, that we are a part of this big picture, which includes uh, you in eternity. The authority of the Bible is a great comfort to us. Because we have a captain, we have God telling us where we are in this open sea of life. And we can trust him. We can have confidence in his word. John 17, verse 17, Jesus praying to the Father for us believers. And if you're not a believer, I would call you to believe in Jesus Christ. To trust in him as your savior. But Jesus is praying to this Father for these believers, for his believers, and saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This word is truth. Our call to worship came from Psalm 84. Psalm 84 closes off, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We are blessed when we trust in God, because he's caring for us. He's guiding us, and he is leading us, and he's done that through Jesus Christ through giving us salvation in him. God's word is authoritative. God does what he says he will do. And we have comfort in that because it's not up to us. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the comfort that we have in your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, that is a marvelous thing that you would speak to us, that we can know what this world is all about, and we can know that our place in this world is not random. Our place in this world is, is by you, is clinging to you. Lord, may we do that. May our comfort be in your word being true. And as we, uh, yeah, as we go through times in our lives where we're doubt and we're afraid and we're unsure of, of our standing with you, Lord, may we turn to your word and trust that your word is true and trust that when your word says that you have come to save sinners, when your word says that we can be assured that we have eternal life, that we trust it. Lord, bless us as we go from here and may your word always be upon our, on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our song of response is from our hymnals, number